Good evening. I want you to really shake a man's hand near you and tell him or just look him in the face, show him appreciation for being here. Tell him something. Say, I'm just glad you made it, man. I'm glad you made it. I'm really glad you made it. I don't know what you had to go through to get here, but I'm glad you made it, man. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm glad you're here. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know what you're facing, but I'm glad you're here. I don't know what battles you got to fight, but I'm glad you're here. I don't know if you're having trouble with your lady, trouble with your kids, trouble with your money, legal trouble. I don't know what kind of trouble you're facing, but I'm glad you're here. And one thing I know, God loves you no matter what you're up against and what you're in. And there's some stuff you can't get out without God. God will let you get in something that you can't figure it out. You can't work it out. You don't have enough connections. You don't, you, we don't have enough intellect. We don't have the skills for it. We ain't never seen nobody else in it. And we don't know how to get out. Amen. And, and that's the time we have to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and say, God, you're going to have to get me out of this. You're going to have to get me through it. But if anything, make sure I come out of it better than I went in it. Amen. The worst thing you do is come out the same. Some of the stuff you're dealing with, man, you deserve to come out better. Amen. One of the worst things that can happen is you go through the kind of pain you're going through and be exactly the same. Amen. I deserve to be stronger, wiser, better, more equipped, more anointed, everything after I go through something than before I went in it. Amen. Hey, I'm going to tell you about these tools I have before I start. I have a book that's written by a mentor of mine called Decade by Decade. Bob Bill wrote the book. And I don't know if this is going to work up here. If I need to, am I good right here, Mike? I don't know where, I, if I have limitations on where I can go because I hear something, but I'm sure they're going to work it out. The book explains like what the theme is for every decade of our life. Every decade of our life has a theme. It's something you have to go through when you're in your, when you're in your 30s. It's all about success. When people in their 30s, it's trying to get more, trying to get bigger, trying to get all we can. Then when we're somewhere in your 40s, you shift and you say, you know, it ain't about getting everything. I want to do something that counts. I want my life to matters. And you shift from success to significance. And then when you hit your 50s, you hit your stride. You ain't really hit your stride till you're in your 50s. When life starts making sense and you start figuring out who you are and you do less of what no longer matters. By the way, your 40s is the hardest decade of the human life. Most men will have some kind of health crisis or strong temptation, if not a fall, into infidelity in your 40s. It is the hardest decade of the human life. Part of the struggle of the 40s is paying for everything you bought in your 30s, trying to keep up with everybody. But if you make it out of your 40s, it'll get better. I ain't trying to make you depressed. I'm just telling you what's in front of you. Your 60s is a decade of succession. Every decade, every decade has a theme, and this book is powerful. You should pick it up. It's a great tool. It's an easy read. And, of course, I, I know about this book, Side Chickology. Amen. It's Why Men and Women Cheat. It's, it's a book on infidelity. It's not just for married men. It's for single men. If you don't feel like reading it, listen to it. I did audio. Thank you, Josh Davies. There's an audio version of the book. I'm reading it. Josh Davies produced it, got music behind it, got some actors to come in to act out the girl parts in it because, you know, dude got caught having an affair in the book. Amen. You should get it. It's a great book, and it's got great tools. All right, let's go to the Word of God. I'm going to be moving around in the Word tonight, and um, I want to talk tonight about, and first of all, I want to honor all of our speakers who are here, everybody's going to be speaking and presenting this weekend. So grateful. I see a couple of them. I know Pastor Chris Johnson, my brother. Thank you so much. I want all the speakers who are speaking to just stand up real quick. And I want to acknowledge you, whether you're doing a workshop tomorrow or a general session. Pastor Page. Well, I guess, you know, the other speakers are just want to remain humble or just they're going to be here tomorrow. All right, my subject tonight is living on the edge, living on the edge, living on the edge. I got a lot of stuff I want to tell you. I just want to have a conversation with you about living on the edge. I'm going to talk about five edges we live on, five edges, five edges, edges, things that cut us. Four of them are good cuts. 
One of them is not so good. Let's pray. Father, please speak to us now. I thank you for these brothers. I thank you for my brothers here tonight. And I pray that you would feed us through your word, challenge us, change us, transform us, strengthen us, improve us, correct us. We just open to you whatever you want to do. Since we're here, give us everything we need. And Father, for every battle that we're fighting, for everything that worries us, for everything that plagues our mind, would you give us a peace that surpasses all understanding? And would you give us wisdom on how to navigate situations that we haven't figured out how to work through? And may we do this time, may we do it this time, not in our flesh, but do it in our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The first, the first point I want to make, I think they have them, they're going to come on the screen, is, let me pull it up on my phone, is living on the edge of healthy relationships. Living on the edge of healthy relationships. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, there's a verse of scripture that says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. As iron sharpens iron. Now think about that. What iron does to iron is it cuts on it. It cuts each other to make things sharp. It is the friction of the iron that makes it sharp. And and what what the verse is teaching is, is that the right people in your life can make you sharp. In fact, in fact, anything I'm good at, I can make you sharp at it. So you can get sharp at anything. You can get sharp at pimping. You can get sharp at hustling. You can get sharp at worshiping. You can get sharp at serving God. You can get sharp at being a good husband. Depends on who's sharpening you. You understand what I'm saying? Whose razor am I under? And I'm saying if there's an area of your life that you know you need to get sharper in, I'm asking you, who are you getting close enough to to cut you? <laughs> yeah. To, to, to who's, who's sharpening you? you and you don't, have to, you don't even have to be able to have a relationship with the person to be able to go to lunch with them. But with the, with the kind of technology we have today, you should be reading their books following their blogs, following them on social media, watching every video they have till you understand their rhythm, till you understand, like, this, like whenever, because I had never seen a good marriage growing up, because I had seen so much dysfunction in their relationships, I had to learn how to be a good marriage. So every day of my life to this day, I am 53 years old, every single day of my life, I read something about marriage. Even if it's just an email about how to be a good husband, because that's not natural for me. I'm not a naturally good husband. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and so I have to do things to get sharper in that area, and I have to listen to people with that's they're, they're sharp at that, right? So who are you who, who can help you be sharper financially? Who can help you who can help us be sharper in our fitness? Who can help us be sharper in our spiritual life? Wherever you need development, when you look around your life, who's sharp where you need to get sharp? Very important. That's a very important cut. So here are th- three things I want you to keep. Is it, see, when you got the right relationships, you have to have three things. Feedback from the right men, accountability to the right men, and follow the example of the right men. I'm going to say that one more time. You got to get feedback from the right men, have accountability to the right men, and follow the example of the right men. Each one of those things is important. Getting feedback. When, I, when, when it says iron is sharpening iron, that means you have somebody in your life who can tell you straight up, you ain't right. That ain't right, man. That's right. Or will ask you questions. Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you, are you following the program you're supposed to be following? That's, that's feedback from the right man. Like, like, like when you, when, you know, I, I work with NBA players as a chaplain of the Wizards and, and, the feedback that they get, man. When I'm trying to tell them when they're having a relationship issue with a female and I'm trying to give them counsel, it's, it's, it's not that they're not hearing the truth when I'm giving them the counsel. It's when chapel is over and, and the game is over and they got six dudes riding in the same car with them and ain't none of them telling them what they need to hear because all six of them are on payroll and all six of them ignorant and immature. 
And I'm saying, when you, when you have an ignorant circle, it is hard to be wise. Feedback from the right people. Accountability to the right people. And follow an example of the right men. So that's a cut. I want to make sure I'm getting cut by the right people. Here's the second thing. Here's the second cut. Is in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. Exodus chapter 4, I'm going to give you the verse first. Verse first. So there's a story in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, the Bible says God called Moses into the ministry, called him, says, I want you to lead my people out of bondage. And, and so Moses has this incredible call from God where God shows up in a burning bush and Moses, he says, Moses, take your shoes off this holy ground. And he and God had this conversation about his assignment. He tries to talk himself out of doing it. Finally, he yields to the assignment of God. He's following the assignment of God. And chapter 4, verse 24 says, on the way to Egypt at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. I mean, it's, it's one of the most shocking passages in all the Bible. The same God that called Moses in chapter 3 is about to kill him in chapter 4. That fast, his ministry is about to be over. Like when God rolls up on you and says, I'm about to kill you, that's a serious situation. Right? It's one thing for a dude in here to say, I'm going to kill you at tonight. Like, and you know what he's capable of, but if he told you, you know, I, I, we watch him, man. Or, you know what I'm saying? But when God roll up on you, he says, I'm going to kill you tonight. Like what shot you got? That's a bad situation. This is the same God. What would make God kill a man that he called? Like if you kill him, God, who going to do this? You just called him to do it. It's an important job. What you going to kill him for? Verse 25. Watch the next verse. The next verse says, but Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife. Everybody say cut. She takes a knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, now you're a bridegroom of blood to me. She's talking to Moses. And then, by the way, so she, she circumcised the boy, throws the foreskin of the boy's penis at Moses' feet and yells out this comment to him. And watch what happens in verse 26. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. This is one of the most strangest passages in all the Bible. So God called a man in chapter 3, going to kill him in chapter 4, verse 24. In fact, most people believe that Moses was gravely ill, right? So God is, kill, is in the process of taking his life. Zipporah, his wife, steps in, circumcises his son, throws the foreskin at Moses' feet, and God leaves Moses alone. So God decided not to kill him over the circumcision of his son. For years, I was like, what in the world is going on? Mm. This, is, this is a situation here. Here's the situation, y'all. Moses is God's representative of Israel. Circumcision was the delineation between the people of God and people who follow Baal and other gods. It was a defining mark that separated the followers of God from people who didn't. If you were considered uncircumcised, you would consider somebody who didn't have a relationship with God. If you, were, if you were a follower of God, if you were a Hebrew or an Israelite, you were supposed to, at eight days old, you were supposed to circumcise your son. That was part of the covenant. And Moses is the representative of the covenant. And he's going around leading thousands, if not hundreds of thousands and millions of people. But he's got a boy in his house that hadn't been circumcised. Hmm. And God says, I don't care what you're doing out there in them streets. You got a son in your house who hadn't been instructed. on You, you, you ain't got your house right. I'm going to kill you. Because circumcision, watch this. When God chose to mark a man, he didn't put a brunt. He didn't, he, you know how you get, some of y'all in fraternities and some of you, you know, you got, you got a brand on your arm and you got the Q represented on your arm or you got a Kappa mark on your chest. Well, when God branded his men, he didn't brand our chest. He didn't brand our arm. He branded our private part. And he says, I'm going to put my mark on your private part so that you know your body's not for fornication. Your body belongs to me. Isn't it amazing where God decided to cut us? To let us know that you must have a relationship with me of purity. Yeah, that's the next point. Put the next point up there. A healthy relationship. He, less living on the edge of sexual purity. Out of all the places he could have cut us. 
Out of all the places where he did a blood covenant with us, I'm cutting a blood covenant with you right there so that you know that belongs to me. Look at somebody leaning over to him easy. Don't record this. Say, God got a plan for your penis. God got a plan for your penis. Just whisper somebody, God got a plan for your penis. I know you want to put it everywhere. I know you want to bang everything. I know you want to tap that, hit that, smash that, crush that. But God got a plan for your penis. Look at somebody and say, y'all ain't ready for me now. God got a plan for your penis. <laughs> every time every time you know it's working just know it belongs to him yeah that's a tough one ain't it first Thessalonians turn to first Thessalonians chapter 4 first Thessalonians chapter 4 Moses you ain't T you mentoring everybody, but you ain't tell your son what he needs to know. I'm going to kill you. I don't care nothing about your church. I'm going to kill you. You don't take care of your own people. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm still on that. First Thessalonians chapter 4. God's will is for you to be holy and stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Verse 7, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Verse 8, therefore anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God's saying, I want you to be clean. I want you to be sexually pure. And there's a cut. Living on the edge of sexual purity means I can see it, but I can't touch it. I can acknowledge it, but I can't go after it. It looks good, but it ain't mine. God, I want what you gave me. Give me what you, may you meet all your needs through me, all of my sexual needs the right way. That's, see, this is the problem. This is the problem. When God can't keep us sharp sexually, he can't use us to our full potential. Because your penis will always combat your purpose. See, it will always do it. It will always take you this way. It would always take you out of bounds. It would always take you out of bounds. Because it's only, it's, it's all natural. It's all sensual. It's all about now. It is never about later. It is all about now. It is all about now. So we don't, so, so we don't understand that this too will pass. You understand what I'm saying? It looks good. It feels great. It would be great if, if let me hold you tight. If only for one night. That's what Luther says. But, but, but you have to understand, every night gets, just begins to repeat itself. And then how, sometimes you can get in something you can't get out of. And I'm telling you something, these women crazy now. They ain't just, they ain't just, they, they crazy now. They, 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 when, you start, when you start acting like you're married to somebody that you ain't married to, they start treating you like they're your wife and they start expecting you to act like a husband. That's why if they ever find something in your phone or ever find somebody you used to mess with, like your social media page, they will go off on you, spitting and fighting and breaking up stuff and having you acting like it ain't even your wife. You're creating a false reality for people. And so God says, I want you to be clean in this area. Most men, listen, I ain't going to say most men. This is about every man. Listen to me. You need a wife. And we need to be faithful to a wife. We keep acting like it's hard. Hey, man, you, well, how I know which one? You got to pick. You got to just make a choice. It ain't even real complicated. Somebody asked me that before service. How you know which one? It ain't even real complicated. You pick one. Amen. You pick one. Amen. All of them got something wrong with them. You say, well, I like the way she's shaped. And I like the way she thinks. And I like the way she dreams. And I like the way she cooks. 
and I like the way she worships, and I like the way she sings. I'm saying, you ain't going to get all of You ain't going to get one that can cook, clean, sing, look good, smell good, act good, act nice. You're going to have to sacrifice something on one of them. You're going to have to deal with some dysfunction just like she got to deal with your dysfunction. Stop looking for something perfect with your imperfect self. You got to find something to say, well, I'm going to shoot. I know what I'm not trying to deal with. I ain't trying to deal with that. Whatever. If you, whatever. Make a choice. Getting paralyzed in the analysis, looking for something perfect. Make a decision, man. Make a move. Get that part of your life right. Leave you, at least you know you got that. You got a, somebody in place. All right, let me go on to the next cut. By the way, by the way, the reason why, the reason why I'm going back to point one, James 5.16 is a very important point. The reason why we need a circle. Too many men operate without accountability. We're our own boss. We do whatever we want to do. Don't nobody hold us in check. Nobody tells us what to do. We kind of just run our own life. And we only surround ourselves with jokers who agree with us. As soon as you stop agreeing with us, as soon as somebody stop agreeing with you, man, I ain't messing with that dude no more, man. I don't mess with that nigga like that, man. As soon as somebody challenge, I don't mess with that nigga like that, man. As soon as somebody challenge us. And I'm saying, I'm saying, you got to have somebody in your life that ain't like your, in your fan club. <laughs> somebody that loves you enough to say that ain't right. And James 5.16 says it like this. One of the reasons why we get stuck in a cycle of sin is not because we're not confessing it to God. Because John, 1 John 1, 1.9 says we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But James 5.16 gives us the solution of how to get out of the bondage of sin. You don't just confess your sin to God. That's a vertical confession. James 5.16 says confess your faults to one another so that you can be healed. That's significant. That's how you get healed. You get healed in community. This is what Jesus did, Pastor Chris. When Jesus left the earth, he didn't stop healing. He put the healing in the body. <laughs> so that now, watch this, the body of Christ does the healing. The person of Christ healed while he was on earth. When he left, he left healing in the body of Christ. So that now we heal each other when we get around each other. And you say, I got an addiction to porn. You say, I'm struggling with managing my money. I'm struggling, I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with me. And now we get around you, confess that, and we say, now how you doing with that? How you responding? Are you That's healing comes through confession. Because you keep telling God, I'm sorry, but you keep beating your wife up. You, oh, y'all going to talk to me. Talk. You keep telling God, you say, but when you tell another brother who loves you about you being sorry, I say, next time you come over there and you feel like hitting her, you call me because I'm going to beat you up and we're going to get you if you do that. You understand what I'm saying? We love you enough and we love her. You can't hide and get healed. You get healed in circles. That's why when there's a call for men to come together, always show up. You know what I'm saying? This is the only environment where we can really get better spiritually. That's, I didn't even say that in the first part, but I want to go back. That's, that's part of that cut. Third point, living life on the edge. Living, everybody say living life on the edge. So we're living life on the edge of healthy relationships. Living life on the edge of sexual purity. Living life, number three, on the edge of the word of God. Living life on the edge of the word of God. In Hebrews 4.12, I got to get an MRI Sunday, Monday night. Monday, I don't like MRIs. I don't, I'm, I don't like getting in them tubes. Pray for me because I'd be panicking, man. They put me in it. The lady says, if there's a problem, push the button when they slide you in. She said, but don't, she said, but don't push the button yet. When they slide me in, I start pushing. She said, I told you not to push the button. I said, I'm making sure it works. I just feel like I'm sliding up in a coffin, man, like a mausoleum down at the cemetery. Like, Anyway, God's word is like an MRI. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper. Everybody say sharper. It's sharper than any, and the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts exposes, yeah, our innermost thoughts. 
put it back and desires. Somebody say, expose me, God. The greatest preaching and teaching and ministry you'll ever receive is ministry that, ex that the word of God is used to expose you. So I want to talk about exposure. Everybody say exposure. So when you live life on the, on the edge of the word of God, here's the exposure. Here's three things I want to encourage you, all of us to be. First of all, be a man that's exposed to the word of God. Be a man that's exposed to the word of God. Then be a man who's exposed by the word of God. And then be a man who is an exposer of the word of God. Be a man who's exposed to the word of God. How do you expose yourself to the word of God? You put it in your daily agenda. Like with apps, you can get a Bible app and every day you can just follow a reading plan. Just get the word of God in front of you every day. Like, make that a part of Some guys get up, first thing they do is check their phone. Well, I'm saying, since you're in the phone anyway, go to the Bible app. Some of you, the first thing they get up, they make their coffee, or they go to the gym, or they read, you know, the old school used to read the newspaper. And I'm saying, before you, put, before you pick the paper up, before you pick the Washington Post up, or the New York Times up, or whatever you're going to read, or USA Today, I dare you to pick the Word of God up so that it frames the way you read the Scriptures. I've been, you know, we've been going back and forth on our staff. I think my staff is tired of me about this Amber Geiger thing with the lady that killed the guy down in Dallas. And, and all of the arguments are interesting because they come, from a, they come from a place of pain and hurt and blackness and ain't nobody arguing from the word. Like, like what lens would you put on the story if, if your lens was scriptural? Like, I can easily flow into my black nationalist, black power, we, we, all that. That's not, that's not true. But when I look at life through the lens of scripture, you have to expose yourself to the truth and be exposed by it. That's another thing. Like, don't just be an expert at correcting other people with the word. If the word is not correcting you, then there's a problem. James said it like this. Any man that looks at the word of God is like who and doesn't do it, not only deceives himself, but it's like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and forgets everything he saw, walks away. Do you look in the mirror and saw a book is in your nose, sort of stuff in the eye and everything, and walked away like ain't nothing there? The word of God should make me do something about me because I saw it. So a man who's exposed to the word of God, daily time in the word, who's exposed by the word of God, that the word of God convicts me and makes me make adjustments. The word of God will make you make an adjustment like, just like something simple, like, let me take the trash out. Let me go say good morning to somebody. Let me give somebody a hug. It can be something simple. Don't think it's going to be real deep. It can be something real practical. But also a man who exposes the word of God. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, Ezra is one of the Old Testament servants, priests, it says this was because Ezra, it talks about him before this, this was because Ezra determined to study and obey the law of the Lord. So he's studying the word and obeying it, exposed to it, exposed by it, but also to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. You don't have to be a pastor to, to expose other people to the word of God. Because all of us are not pastors, but I can prove to you that all of us are ministers. God calls every member of his body a minister. We are all supposed to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be ministers and communicators of God's truth. And I'm saying you can't teach something that you haven't spent time in. So live life on the edge of the word of God. I got one more. Two more, two more. Let me say one more thing about living on the edge of the word of God. If you ask a man about something that he's passionate about or that he spent time with, he, I don't even care if he's introverted. He won't, you can't shut him up. Get a man talking about politics, and he loves politics. Oh, man, you can't shut him up. Yeah, what we need to do is we got to do this, and we got to do that, and then we got to get out to vote, and we got to go down to the polls, and I mean, it's just, oh, man, he's just gone. You get a man talking about black history and what happened to black people in black history and they just gone. Man, you know Fannie Lou, Fannie, Fannie Lou Haven, and Martin and all them, they just gone. And I, I think it's wonderful. 
Get a man talking about sports, he can talk about, man, Spence should have stayed outside, man. Made the fight hard on itself, man. You got to go to that body, then go upstairs. Take some money, go get, take some gas out the tank. You know, they just gone, man. Them, you know, Redskin problem, man, man, they need the whole, whole organization messed up. You know, it started at the top, man. Everything started at the top, man. They don't run the right off. Talk about Georgetown Hoyts, man. John Thomas third round, wrong. Man, 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 man run the wrong offense, man. How you going to run the Princeton offense with all that talent, man, from D.C., man? That's why nobody from D.C. want to play for the Bama, man. You run them little ridiculous offense, man. People going in circles, backdoor cuts, man. You got to let people do You got to let people just do what they do, man. Hey, man. What, what, you, what you think about the word? Hey, you know, man. You know, because, um... Hey, um... You know, man. You know, I'm from the streets, man. You know about the streets. You know about music. You know about rap. You know about the industry. You know what's going on on power, on television? <laughs> Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, I want to be so, so deeply entrenched with the word of God that if you cut me, I bleed scriptures. <laughs> what will you bleed if you get cut? Number four, living on the edge of toxic relationships. Here's a bad cut. Here's a bad cut. Whew. This may be one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture. In Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16 is a man named Samson. And the Bible says in verse 4, he had went through several relationships before he met this lady, but when he met Delilah, Delilah turned him out. <laughs> and let me tell you something real quick. I know dudes that was walking with Jesus. I ain't even lying to you. To walking deeply with Jesus, serving in the church, and then you hear him later, you see him like some years later, and they ain't with the church, and they talking like Egyptology, and they talking about, I don't even know what I believe, man. You know how you know that Bible ain't been tampered with. And I'm telling you, every time I've seen that happen, it's always been a woman involved. It ain't nothing like a woman to take a man straight out of bounds. He don't even know what he believed no more. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what just man, I'm down with uh, you know, I'm listening to Dr. Umar Johnson, um Farrakhan. You you don't know, you you just gone. This is everything, everything, man. That's what I'm talking about right there. You're angry, you don't know black power, you don't know what you're doing, it's just gone. It's always and I'm telling you, it's always a woman. It's always a woman. In fact, I, I can tell you, and it's always it's always sensual. It's sensual. Take them out of bed. I'll give you a quick example. When Moses first got the commandments from God in the book of Exodus, the Bible says he went up on the mount called Horeb or Sinai. He gets the commandments of God, and on the way down, he's carrying these tablets, and he dropped them, and they broke. And so God takes him back up to the mountain again, and he gets these again. But Moses is the leader of Israel, and while he's gone, he's gone for 40 days this time. And he was gone so long. By the way, see, when you read the Bible and you hear stuff like this, you get excited. You're like, I know, oh, I know where this is going. And it's really exciting, right? So anyway, Moses is gone for 40 days. And the people got a little antsy. So they went to Aaron, who was Moses' assistant pastor. Always watch the assistant pastor. Amen. <laughs> That's the one right there. It's the one, whoever the assistant is. Amen. <laughs> they go to Aaron, right? And they say, man, we need to do something while he's gone. Let me tell you what happened. They started taking their jewelry off and their clothes. And they created a God. And when Moses came back, they was all butt naked, worshiping around a fire of a golden calf. And now I'm saying it's one thing to be worshiping an idol when, you, when your leader got... See, whenever you get away from alignment with God, you're going to drift off into something else. But what's, what's interesting about it, they was also naked. And I'm saying, what they doing naked? What are you doing? Everybody around the fire naked. Nobody gets naked unless they're doing something nasty. And I'm saying, wherever there's nakedness and nastiness, there's a drift away from solid theology. You always leave. And I'm telling you, as soon as you get your draws outside of the will of God, your doctrine, your theology, everything gets twisted. I guarantee you run into any brother whose theology is off, I guarantee you, watch the pattern. It's some chick took him out. Now watch Samson. I'm going somewhere. 
Samson in verse 4 meets a woman named Delilah. The Bible says sometimes he didn't just meet her, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. Now, I told y'all before, any woman that live in the valley anywhere ain't to be messed with. <laughs> valley Green, the valley of Sorek, Valley Terrace, anything with valley in it, that's Keisha from South East. You don't mess with nobody from the valley. <laughs> If she's if she in the valley when you met her, you just the alley. <laughs> now watch this. I don't have time to tell you the whole story. That's why we got all the singing out. Boy, we, we had a good time in here, didn't we? Yes, yeah, I'm taking all the fun, ain't I? Now look at verse 17. He meets this woman in the valley, right? Look what valley girl did to him. Finally, Samson said all the time they were in a relationship, she's trying to figure out how to cut him. You understand what I'm saying? She's trying to cut him, Pastor. He's living life on the edge of a toxic relationship. She says, What's it? She says so, so finally, she wants to know how to get his strength from him. His strength is in his head. So finally, Samson shared a secret with her. He says, my hair has never been cut. Where that brother at that I talked about hair earlier? Where my man at? I told you I couldn't grow my hair. He light-skinned. He had hair everywhere. Where is he? Stand up, man. Let me see you. Is he asleep? Is he praying? Hey, wake up so I can use you for this illustration. Look at all that hair. Brother Samson. Amen. <laughs> Greg, Greg, you, you got a lot of it too. So, so listen, this is what happened. So he says, my hair's never been cut. He confessed, for I was dedicated to God and that's right from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. Next verse. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secrets. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. She was getting paid for this. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. Mm -hmm. He went to sleep down there. <laughs> Don't miss none of that. Then she called in a man, to she called in somebody from the barbershop. Fresh cut came in, the man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down. Look at that, to bring him down. And his strength left him. Who's bringing you down? And your strength is leaving you. You know you're with the wrong woman when she keeps bringing you down. And your strength is leaving. Every toxic relationship that brings you down and takes your strength from you, that means you're living on a wrong cut. It's cutting you the wrong way. Look at the next verse. This is where it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible. She cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come upon you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. One of the signs that you're in a toxic relationship is when you lose your vision. You don't even know what your assignment is anymore. And this was a pattern for him. I want to show you his pattern. Back in chapter 14, see, he didn't just start with Delilah. He had a pattern of following lustful proclivities. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. We talked about that last, this past Sunday, when somebody catches your eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her, get her for me. Doesn't know her, doesn't know what she believes, doesn't know her values. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe among all the Israelites you can marry the ass? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told her, get her for me. She looks good to me. In chapter 16, verse 1, Watch this pattern. One day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. He's got a pattern. He's got a pattern. He's got a pattern of being controlled by his passions. And it led to his destruction. When you're living on the edge of toxic relationships, it can take your strength. It can take your vision and it can take you down. And it's all because Many times we're just addicted, addicted 
What are you addicted to? Anything that takes our strength and kills our vision is toxic. What do you have to fight to be free so we can be focused? Last thing I want to say. Living on the edge of productivity. John chapter 15. I'm going to close with this. In John chapter 15, this is a good cut. John chapter 15 verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true grapevine and the father and my father is the gardener. He cuts off, there it is, every branch that doesn't produce fruit. Yeah, you're, you're a branch. I'm the vine. You're supposed to produce fruit. So you don't produce fruit, you cut off. But he prunes, which is another form of cutting, the branches that do bear fruit. So they will produce even more fruit. So now watch this now. Watch this in the past. So first thing we see in verse 1 is, is levels. So this is a fruit inspection. First of all, you see somebody who has no fruit. And he says, if you have no fruit, verse, let's go to verse 2, I'm sorry. He says, I'm going to cut you off. Doesn't produce fruit. Then he says, I prune the branches that bear fruit. So here's a person that bears fruit. He says, I'm going to prune you if I see fruit so that you can do e produce even more. So we go from no fruit, fruit, to more fruit. Next verse. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have, given, I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse 5. Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches those who remain in me and I in them will produce, uh-oh, much fruit. No fruit. Fruit. If I see fruit, I'm going to prune you. That's a cut. I'm going to cut out everything that keeps you from being productive so I can get more fruit. But if you abide in me and I abide in you, you can bring forth much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah, yeah. Go, go on down to verse 6. Next verse, uh, next verse. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Verse 8. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples and this brings great glory to your father. Where do you think God wants us to be? Verse 16. Go to verse 16. Verse 16 says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Why did you choose me, God? I appointed you to go ah, and produce. Yeah. I want fruit that remains. I don't want you to just be fruitful in your 20s and you get on fire for God in your 30s and by your 40s you're out there. Some people just drifted. You started off, you started off fast, you started off going hard, and then you got distracted. I'll guarantee you with some somebody, something. And and here's the deal. What would you all consider? What would you consider to be fruit that God wants? Something that would that would be fruit that God would be pleased with. What do you think God is saying when he says be fruitful? What do you think God is talking about when he says, How would God define being fruitful? Anybody want to take a guess at that? There's no right or wrong answer. You... Raise your hand so I can call you. Yes. Discipleship is some fruit. Yeah. What would you say? Bringing kids into this world. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you just made me think about it's got to be more than just bringing them here, right? Because that is fruitful. But then there's a, you know, can we bring them up too? Bringing them in. Training them, yeah, training, training. Because sometimes we got to train other people's kids. That's being fruitful, yes. Wow, he said fruit is always meant for someone else, not for the person. That's good. Yeah, what you got? A lasting legacy. Yes. Tithing. Yeah. 
fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace in Matthew chapter 5. I mean, Galatians chapter 5. Yes. Say that again. Completing visions. Yeah, that's your assignment. Yes, sir. Righteousness. All right, Red, Red, Frank. Winning souls. Yeah, what you got? Our behavior is fruit. Our character. Yes, sir. I do a little bit louder. People see a change in you when you change. Yeah, right here. Knowledge. You got something? Your effectiveness. I'll take two more. What you got? Businesses to help bring the kingdom. That's fruitful, creating jobs for people. Yeah. Faith. Yeah. One more. Remaining in him. You got another one? Authenticity. Helping people that can't help themselves. So I'm saying, here's the thing, y'all. Every one of these, if I'm, if I'm not producing fruit, if he says, I chose you to be, to have lasting fruit, if I'm not being fruitful, then there's no use of me being around. Here's the thing about God. Whenever he sees us producing fruit, he gets excited. So he starts cutting things around, pruning us so he can get more out of it. Like, I like that. You ever notice people in the church who get used a lot? There's a reason. Because once God sees somebody that's fruitful, he keeps using them because he's getting more fruit out of them. And I'm saying, if he's not using you, it may be because you are kind of been discarded. And, maybe because, and if you're still here, there's still time. But the key is, is to move close to him and abide in him. Because the goal is to be fruitful to be fruitful, to be fruitful, to do good things. When people can say about you, man, my life is better because of you. My life is better because of you. That's fruitful. When people can point to you and say, man, you made a difference. That phone call you did. It ain't always something that's seen, that everybody publicizes. Just you made a difference. You helped somebody being fruitful. So now let's, I want us to take a moment is there a way we can get the five points on the screen together? If not, I'll look at them one at a time. I want to go back over what we talked about. And I want you to think about just, let's think about for ourselves, where do we need to focus most? Do I need to spend more time on the edge of his word, being pruned? Do I need to spend more time around healthier relationships? that can cut me and develop me and shape me into the man that I need to be? Do I need, do I need him to, do I need to covenant my, my sexual organ with him and just make an agreement, God, I've been doing what I want to do for a long time. I want to submit my sexual life to you. Where, where do you need to make a move, just a move, just a move. Where do, I, where do you need to make a move tonight? And talk to him about it. Just everybody bow your heads for a moment. Maybe there's some relationships that need to be cut. If you don't cut Delilah, she's going to get you cut. What's deep about Delilah, she ain't even cut his head. She got somebody else to do it. It's tricky when the person you're laying with is conspiring against you. And you don't even know it because the sex so good. <laughs> wow. God, help us, protect us from somebody who secretly is bringing us down, bringing our family down, bringing our calling down, taking our vision from us. Some of you had an incredible idea that would change this world. I mean incredible. Whew. I mean, God gives you ideas. They don't even make sense. It's, it's so freaking crazy. Like, the ideas God gives you, don't even, it's incredible. Like, like he, it's like God whispers stuff to you, and, and it's, it's like way ahead in the game. And, and the only thing is, you're tied up. Delilah's got you tied up. Addiction's got you tied up. 
And it can't be birthed into this world because you're tied up. Your tubes are tied. (laughs) And you can't birth your own vision. What if you got free? What if you got free? And you're such a good man because you like seeing other people get, oh, man, I'm so proud of them. I'm Man, that man, that that man, that man up there, man, I'm so proud of that pastor. I'm so proud of that man. I'm just so good. I'm so grateful for the work they're doing. And you've been, you've been in, in everybody else's corner. But what if you got free? Free from your own shame and guilt. Free from your own habits of doing things your way. You love God, but secretly you have an agenda that you are not going to line it up with him. So there will always be a limitation on how far you can go because you're not aligned. You won't line up. <laughs> you won't line up. You just, you just always kind of stay out of line. You, you was always, you're always that kid. When the teacher say line up, you're always out here. And everybody else in line is like, I ain't lying. What do I need to stand over there for? And I'm saying, what if you ever got in alignment with authority? What if you let somebody pour into you and correct you? What if? What would happen? I believe God can do it. I believe God wants to do it. I believe that's why you're here tonight and why you're still here. Because there's some great stuff you're supposed to do. There's some lasting fruit you're supposed to leave on this earth. And there's some lives you're supposed to impact and change generationally. Some of you are going to start systems you're going to just start things. You're going to start systems and programs that change this world. Father, I thank you for every man here tonight. I thank you for everyone who helped put this all together. I thank you for men taking time out to be here and working through whatever they had to work through to be here tonight. And I thank you for cutting on us and showing us where we need to be cut and what knives and flints and edges and irons and swords etc we need to stay away from help us Lord to not just hear your word but see it see ourselves in it and be transformed by it we thank you for this night and thank you for loving us in Jesus name amen